Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. All right. Hello, my friends. How are we doing today? Good. My name is Luke DeLong. I am guest preaching for you today. I'm very grateful and excited to be here. And I don't know if you know there's an unwritten rule in the church world that if uh, you're a guest preacher and the pastor isn't here, then the guest preacher gets to cuss as much as he wants. I didn't know the reaction I was going to get to that. That was really, that was really good. Now it's going to happen. Just, just kidding. Let's pray, please. <clears throat> God, you are here. In your fullness, you are here. Um, may we be aware of your presence. May we feel you, understand you, experience you, participate in you today as we go through these scriptures, as we grieve as we sing songs of worship. Um, It's all for you. Amen. So last week we began this new series, Child's Play, which we'll get into. I'll uh, I'll recap for you in more detail in just a moment. Um, But we saw in the scripture last week that that the disciples asked Jesus a question, and then Jesus brought a child in front of them and said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you must become like this child. Hence, Child's Play. So, Roxy and I, my wife Roxy and I, we were here last week, we listened, and then we left church, and we're both pastors, so we were discussing the sermon um, about kids and child's play um, on the way to Carl Hospital, because our best friends just had a baby the day before. And we were really excited to to meet this new little bundle of joy. Our best friends are uh, Frankie, our daughter's godparents. So we're excited about, uh, you know, really delving into this little kid and and experiencing her for the first time. And so we get there to the hospital, and I'm holding baby Eden, and I'm just saying all the right things, saying all the things you say to a newborn parent, you know, like, oh, she's perfect, no, she doesn't look like a squid, you big silly. She's beautiful. You know, I'm laying it on thick. Oh, she's so gorgeous. And, and, you know, our daughter was there. I don't want them to think that their daughter's cuter than my daughter. So then I slip in a, are her feet supposed to be shaped like that? I don't know. No, I didn't say that. Um, but, but that was something that I, I should have said to them. But no, I'm holding baby Eden, and, and I'm telling her how beautiful she is and how perfect she is. And, and Aunt Roxy and I are so excited to be in her life. And Uncle Luke, Uncle Luke is going to teach you so many bad things. Yes, I am, you know, and I'm so excited. You're going to get into so much trouble because of me. And yes, you are, baby Eden. And it was just a really good time to meet uh, this new life, this new life that can give us such joy. Well, later we went home, and, and later that evening, we put Frankie to bed, and I decided, since I was preaching today, that it was time to, uh, to start reading the scripture, start studying. So I pop out the Bible, and I turn it to Matthew 18 is where we're at, and the first verse I read is in verse 6, and it says this, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck, and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. And I was like, easy, God. I was just joking about all the shenanigans I was going to get little Eden into. I didn't really mean it. You know, luckily we don't live around a body of water, so, so I, I think I'm safe. But, but that, was, that, was, uh, that was for this week. But last week we began this series called Child's Play. And um, 
what happened is that the disciples come up to Jesus and they want to be great. They want to know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so they ask Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to be like your main guy? And Jesus says, come here, little kid. And so he brings a kid in front of, of them all. And, and this is special. This is a special moment. Because the disciples, they grew up. They're, they're a part of their culture. They grew up in the culture where might and power and dominance and military conquest is prized. That's something they didn't have because they were enslaved by the Romans, but they thought the Messiah was going to come and bring them power and might, and they were no longer going to be slaves. They were going to be liberated by the Messiah, and so they thought greatness will be achieved. And Jesus says, here, here, if you want to be great, be like a child. Now, Chris taught us that in the ancient Near Eastern society, children were like the bottom of the barrel. They had no value or no worth. So it's no surprise that Jesus brings up this little kid in front of them and says, if you want to be great, you must be like the least of these. If you want to be great in the eyes of God, you must give up your power. You must humble yourselves, which would have been a big shift in the disciples' mind because of the culture they grew up in. So then that's kind of where we're at. That's the landscape leading up to verse 6 here. And um, now we're going to go ahead and read verses 6 through 9, the scripture that we have for today. So, and I used a different version um, of the scripture when I was studying this. So this translation is a little different. I might talk you through, just change some words a little bit. So it says, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. Now this word stumbling, stumbling, it's, it's, uh, gives you imagery in the scriptures of trying to entice someone into a trap. Like putting a piece of bait on a stick and a string and luring someone into a trap. It also means to entice to sin. So other translation says if you cause one of these little ones to sin or if you, if you find something causing you to sin. So if you hear me say that word, I'm using it interchangeably. So if your hand... Or your foot causes you to stumble or to sin, to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. <laughs> Hell of fire, y'all. <clears throat> now, I'm not fluent in Greek, um, but I don't think that's the right translation of hell of fire. Um, to be thrown into the hell of fire, which is fantastic. Maybe, maybe Chris, I don't, I don't know if Chris meant to do that, but that would be awesome. I'm going to bring that up to him. That's funny. So, and to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, this is kind of a wonky scripture, right? Uh, verse five, Jesus talk, or verse one through five, Jesus is talking about children and being great and being humble. And in verse five, he says, "If anyone welcomes one of these children, then he also welcomes me." And then in verses six, it kind of hops into this kind of big shift, right? Jesus starts to begin using this exaggerative, hyperbolic language that says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to sin, you should just go drown yourself. 
Now, children, and again, they were super vulnerable. They didn't have any worth. So then Jesus uses these words, little ones, in verse 6, which is basically a more expansive, inclusive way of talking about those most vulnerable in society. So yes, children, poor folks, those experiencing homelessness, women, Anyone who society deems inferior, woe to the person who causes them to sin. Those people, it'd be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and jump in the lake. That's pretty intense. So, what does that mean? What does it mean for you to go tie a millstone around your neck and jump into a lake if you cause a little one to sin? Now, that's not something that we're very accustomed to in 21st century church, right? So Matthew, or the, we'll, we'll call him Matthew, the person who wrote the book of Matthew, it was written around 85 to 90 CE. And that's about 55 to 60 years after the church began. Now, churches back then had no set standards of beliefs. It was nothing like today where you, like, you have a Methodist church who kind of believe all the same things, or they, they really don't, or, or this church that kind of <laughs> believes the same things. Yeah, I should have used that because there's this big split going on in the Methodist church right now where they don't believe the same things. A church, church one and church two back in the day, would not really have the same beliefs other than the fact that Jesus lived, died, rose from the grave, and now we are supposed to take that into the world. So, back in the church days, the early church days, there were people in the church that would try to sway young, immature little ones, young and immature Christians, people new to the faith, to not follow Jesus anymore. They were preaching false teaching. They were coming in and trying to get them. So, the author of this gospel, knowing this, is saying, look how offensive it is to try to, get, to, try to lure someone away from believing in Jesus. Now, that's, that's all good. But that's not something that we necessarily deal with in our culture. But like a good rabbi does, Jesus has the focus on what other people are doing, and then he turns his focus onto the disciples so we can begin to look inward at ourselves, inward at the disciples' hearts. And this is what he says in verses 8 or 9. Verse 8 and 9. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Some translations say gouge it out. I like that. Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. I'm just going to run with it. I don't even care. Now, how many of you have... Verses 8 and 9 particularly, how many of you have heard this or read this before? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. How many of you have heard this outside of a youth group sex talk? (laughs) Because this is usually focused around purity culture. And and I'll tell you why. I think that. So, verse 8 and 9. Cut your hand off. Gouge your eye out. Pretty much, you pastors are notorious for using this to say, don't touch yourself. And to, am I allowed to say that? Um, to don't, don't touch yourself and to not lust, right? So I became a person of faith. Uh, I, became, I started my, my faith journey, my Christian journey, the second semester of my senior year of high school. And I had no biblical knowledge of anything up until that time. So I was coming in fresh and green and completely new to all of this faith thing. 
And so I started going to this youth group. And, you know, when we would break away from, like, boys and girls, the leaders of the boys group would really hammer this verse down for us because we were a bunch of boys in high school. And so they would really teach us, like, cut your eye out gouge your eye out, like not lust, don't lust, those sort of things, which are, which are valuable lessons. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job at not lusting. And then I got to college, and that place was incredible. And I walked in my first day, and I was like, oh, these aren't high school girls. These are college women gouge 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 you know all day every day it was like gouge and these verses would just pop into up into my head all the time because it wasn't just about not sinning it came with a lot of shame behind it you know I was a part of purity culture that shamed you if you were sinning like this and it was all day every day you walked to class and it was gouge gouge your eyes out and and I felt like the worst sinner in the world I was so shameful and then I learned, my freshman year of college, I had a church history class. I learned about a guy, an early church father named Origen, who castrated himself because of this verse and another verse that we'll see in Matthew 19. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I don't know if this Jesus thing's for me anymore. You know, like, I'm committed, but I'm not committed. I'm not Origen committed. You know, I was really thinking to myself, like, I don't know if I can get by <laughs> with this stuff anymore. So what I later discovered, though, is that while verses 8 and 9 do talk about sin, and sin is an important thing for us to talk about as Christians, that there's so much more to this. And you can't really understand the complete value of this text without understanding the depth of another word in this text, which is the word life. I don't think that we should ever talk about sin without talking also about life. So let's talk about those things. Sin. What is sin? Um, I don't know your church background, but this word sin has been pretty burned out for me. Uh, it's been used in a lot of circles to hurt and to shame and to demean and to oppress people uh, for not being the way... Uh, that you think you should be, that pastors think you should be, that, that churches think you should be. So it's been, it's been hurt. So what if we talk about sin in a different way, from a different perspective, that kind of opens our eyes to maybe understanding it uh, just a little bit better for us today? So I like to think of sin, and Calvin, you can throw this up here. Sin is anything that disrupts our peace with God, our peace with another human, or our peace with earth. Anything that disrupts that, anything that comes in between that. In the book of Galatians, Paul says that the fruits of the spirit, the things that help us grow, the things that bring shalom and wholeness into our life are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what if sin was nothing more than that thing that gets in the way of us experiencing joy in God? Or what if sin is nothing more than the thing that, that we allow to hop into our lives that, that diminishes or disconnects us from loving our neighbor the way that Jesus tells us to love our neighbor? For example, I am prone to having these ridiculously lavish conversations slash arguments in my head with people. Anybody feel me? It's almost, it's almost always at 6.45 in the morning when I'm in the shower. It's always almost with my Aunt Linda. 
Aunt Linda, right? And, and I guarantee you I win every single one of those conversations. I always have the right thing to say to sway her to my side. How convenient is that for me? Now, these, these conversations that I'm having, they don't help me love my Aunt Linda anymore. They don't bring peace into my life. And why does it have to be in the shower? Why is the shower the most perfect place to have these conversations? The shower in the morning is supposed to be this time of immense joy, letting this scolding hot water wake me up, and I'm over here arguing with my dad's sister because she doesn't like gay people. Like, I'm having these conversations with her over and over and over. Now, I don't know if you, if you feel me, like if you understand where I'm coming from, if you have those things. I don't know if you would call that sin. Maybe you could call that sin. But I guarantee you that it disrupts the peace that I have with God. And it does not help me love my aunt anymore because there's clearly some unresolved conflict there. So it doesn't allow me, by me participating in those, doesn't allow me to love her anymore. And if you're anything like me, the, the things that I focus on most in the morning time pretty much sets the stage for the rest of my day. So I'm beginning my day with disruption, disconnection. I'm beginning my day by allowing this crazy lady that's in my family to pull me away from God. Now, it's actually me that I do that. She's crazy, but, uh, but, <laughs> but it's me who chooses to participate in those things. So maybe that's how we define sin. The things that get in the way, the things that we allow to get in the way. Now let's pause on the sin thing and talk about God for a second. When I use the word God, I'm not talking about some supernatural deity that's up in the sky somewhere else that every once in a while chooses to uh, come into human existence and do something special. When I use the word God, I'm talking about the source of all love. Paul Tillich, a theologian, says that God is the ground of all being, the life force from which all things come, the life force from which all good comes to us constantly. How many of you grew up in a Christian tradition where you sang the doxology every Sunday in church? Okay, anybody know it? You want to sing it with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You have got to get the flow. Um, now, not a banger, not a banger, um, not a song I want to dance to at your wedding. Incredible theology. I love that word flow. Go ahead and throw that up to flow. Let's talk about this word flow. So, it, was, it wasn't cold in here last week enough, so I wanted to bring this fan here. Let's talk about this word flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I really like this. God is the source of all good. God is the source of all being. Everything good that comes from God flows into us. Out of God, we have constant, unceasing blessings flowing to us, relentlessly into us all day, every day. God's presence in the full is here right now, constantly flowing into us. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, grace upon grace upon grace, God's love and life is flowing into us. And what do we, as followers of Jesus, what do we have to do? All we have to do is participate. 
And how do we participate in this relentless, unceasing flowing of gifts and blessings to us? We are aware. We have to practice awareness. We have to practice uh, our eyes being opened to these gifts that are constantly coming into us. And when we, when we see these gifts, when we're aware of those gifts, when we experience a little bit of joy, when that wind hits our face or we get to pet someone else's dog or someone says something nice to us and it makes us smile, gift, gift, life flowing into us. And so we give thanks to God for those things. We have to be aware of those things, and once we acknowledge them, we give thanks to God. We allow them to shape us. We allow them to mold us and to change us to be better people, to look more like Jesus. And then what we do as Christians is we take this flow, we let it change us and shape us, and we put it right back out into the world. Flowing, life, all the time flowing through us, and our responsibility as people of faith is to put it right back out there from which it came. God to other people. Now, I'm using this fan here for two reasons. One, I think it's just a fun analogy. Flowing, wind flowing through here from the source in us and out of us to the world. But also, this wind right here, or this, uh, this fan is creating air. It's creating wind. And the Hebrew word for wind is this really cool word, ruach. Say that with me, ruach. <laughs> ruach. You gotta get the huh. Um, in the original Hebrew language, one word had many translations. One word had many meanings. So this word ruach doesn't just translate as wind, it can also translate as spirit and breath. I love this. I hope you like it too. In the Genesis 2 poem, we read that God ruached, God breathed God's ruach, God's breath, God's spirit into humanity giving us life. God breathed God's breath, God breathed God's spirit into humanity, giving us life. Flow, the flow, the life coming into us. Right now, you are breathing in and you are breathing out the spirit of God. The wind of God is flowing through you like oxygen right now. Every breath you take is a gift, is an immense gift given to us because every breath you breathe in and you breathe out, is the spirit of God in you and out into the world. Ruach, wind. When you feel that gentle wind hit your face in the middle of the day, and you're just like, ah, oh, spirit, breath, the breath of the spirit, life unto you, life flowing through you, in and out of you, the ruach of God. Now take a deep breath with me, in and out. Ruach, life. Life, life given to us. Now, sometimes, sometimes we like to participate in things or do things or say things that kind of disrupt, disrupt the life, disrupt uh, the life from flowing out on us. I don't know, you, you have a bad day, you wake up in a crappy mood, and instead of dealing with it, you take that frustration out, you project that frustration onto the ones you love the most. Disruption, disconnection of the life flowing out of you, you're disrupting that flow. Uh, maybe you see a bumper sticker or you hear something in the news about politics and it really triggers you and, and it just, you hold on to it and it's disruption, disrupting the flow. But that's kind of what repentance is, right? Repentance is nothing more than checking yourself. Hey, okay, yeah, I don't need that. Uh, regroup, retrain my mind, all right? Let's, I'm sorry about that. Let's, let's figure this out. 
those are pretty common things that we deal with. Just little disruptions here and there all the time. But there are times in our lives where we are, we're pretty adamant about pushing against this life. Maybe we're in a time where we're grieving right now and it's hard and we've pushed everyone away. Maybe we're just bitter and hardened about where we're at in this world. Maybe we didn't think we'd be at this spot right now in our lives and we're just pushing we're pushing away from the flow. We're, we're pushing away, uh, not allowing the flow of life to go into other people. Maybe we're just a little negative and somebody in our lives did something. Maybe it's somebody else's fault. Maybe somebody came into your life and did something to disrupt your peace, disrupt your joy and love. And instead of offering forgiveness, you know, you let it build. You know, you, you just start to... You resent somebody and you just let it dig down deep and you hold on to it. And, you know, eventually you're stifling. You're stifling the flow out of you and you might be stifling someone else's flow. What is that? What is that? Is that what we can call sin? Stifling love and stifling life flowing out of us? If that's what we can redefine sin as, then sin is opposition, Opposition to life. And in those times that we have opposition to life, if we don't check ourselves, if we don't cut off what's unnecessary and throw it away, then what can we do? We can lead ourselves into living into a world of hell. Now, there's a lot to be said about this word hell. Um, just know that what we read up here today about entering hell of fire um, the idea that maybe some of us grew up with of uh, there being an underground place somewhere that's constantly on fire and Satan follows you around with a pitchfork, nah, you know, trying to get you, like, that's not something that was taught in Judaism, which means that's not something Jesus taught, and that's not what we see here today. So this word hell, in, in its Greek form, is this word Gehenna, and it comes from the root of Valley of Hinnom. And in the Old Testament days, the Hebrew Scripture days, the Valley of Hinnom was a, an actual place that you could go to. It was an actual valley that someone that lived in Israel could take you to and say, that's it, that's Gehenna, that's the Valley of Hinnom. And in the Old Testament days, what the Valley of Hinnom was known for is baby sacrifice. So people who worshipped idol gods would go to the Valley of Hinnom and they would actually, yeah, I'm going to keep that on. Um, and they would go and they would sacrifice babies. So the Jews, because babies were sacrificed and they were also to idol gods, the Jews saw the Valley of Hinnom, the Jews saw Gehenna as desolate. They saw it as desecrated. They saw it as a place where God did not exist. There was no life in this place. So then, after the baby sacrifice phases started uh, flowing and kind of getting, a, getting rid of, uh, from religious groups, let me say that again, I, I wasn't clear. Um, when the religious practice of child sacrifice started to phase out, the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, became a giant trash site. People would just go and dump all their trash there. And how do you get rid of unwanted trash and unwanted things? You burn it. So Gehenna, hell, became a place that was constantly on fire with your trash. And dogs would fight over scraps of food, and that's where we get the imagery of gnashing of teeth. So Gehenna... When the author of Matthew says, spend eternity in hell, the original audience would have known exactly where he was talking about, why he was talking about that, and what that meant. No one would want to spend a day in Gehenna, let alone an eternity, because there was no thriving. There was no goodness. 
It was hell. There was no life in this place. Have you ever, you want to come out, man? Um, have you ever been in a situation where you were experienced nothing but hell? A divorce, a broken relationship, something. Something where you just feel like there is no life in this at all. Yeah. A lot of times, a lot of times we experience those things. A lot of times we can really uh, be hurt and we're grieving and it's hard. And the best thing we can do is just try to figure out where this flow is at. We must have eyes and tuned to the gifts of God that are lavishly poured out to us at all times. And sometimes that's really hard. And sometimes it's a struggle to find peace. And sometimes it's a struggle to find love and joy that can flow out of you. And that's why we practice. That's why we participate in this love. It's a discipline to find this, to find this flow. One of my favorite musicians, Jason Mraz, has a song, Look for the Good in Everything. Yes, we must look for the good in everything so that we, in turn, can have the good flow out of us. And then once we check, once we check ourselves, once we're examining our lives and we're noticing these gifts, and if there's something that doesn't belong, we cut it off. We get rid of it. Why? Because it's better to live life with one hand than to have your whole body but live in anti-life. Hell is anti-life. And most of the time, we get to choose this. So what does this text mean for us today? We're examining a whole new way of life, a whole new way of being. That when we turn into wholeness, when we are our truest selves, then we find ourselves mirroring the divine. That the God who breathed God's very spirit into us, that the God who loves and seeks relationship with us is also the same God that desires us to live in such a way that good flows out from us and changes the world. That's our responsibility as followers of Jesus. Every good thing comes from God. Every good gift comes from God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we have the option and the ability to take that into the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for your flow. Whether we see it, whether it exists in our lives because our our eyes aren't open to it, God, can you please just open our eyes, open our eyes to the goodness that exists. And we know that takes time, and we know that's hard sometimes to see it. And so, so we ask for patience if we're not ready to let go of something. But we we try to find the little bit of good, the little bit of hope in our lives that that will help us to not build up towards resentment, towards you, or towards another person God we see this scripture as like don't sin don't sin don't sin rather God what our focus is on today is living life living life to the fullest the life that you came to give us to live to the fullest your breath is in us your good things flow through us now may we be a representation of the God that loves us so much so that they will see you so that others will see you alive in this world. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.